the time he's good, isn't he? Thank you so much. Woo! Man. Have you ever needed somebody on your side? Anybody ever need backup? Huh? And uh, were you glad when that backup showed up? There's something about it's like all of a sudden, what? You know, it's like all of a sudden, because you got backup, you know, I'm, I'm okay now. You know, but to think that I love this song because it, it just points out that he's all around us. Isn't that awesome? I love it. The, the, the imagery of thinking he's not just in front of me, he's behind me, he's next to me. What a blessing. Amen. Well, let me tell you guys, I have been enjoying going through the book of Ruth. I really have. And um, just this theme about put your life together. And uh, I just really have just uh, been ministered to by the Lord. Uh, when I look at what it, you know, last week we noted that um, Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem. And Naomi expressed after the women acknowledged her coming back, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. But I love that at the end of chapter 1, it says that they arrived in, in Bethlehem at the time of the harvest, of barley harvest. And, and, and she said that, I don't want you to call me pleasant or delightful. Call me Mara, bitter. Why? Because she says, the Almighty, you know, he, He's caused me to return empty-handed. And we've noted at the beginning of this series, it wasn't God that left her empty-handed. What, prob- what happened was she left Bethlehem to go to the land of Moab without God leading her that way. In other words, it was her choice that left her empty-handed. But when she comes back and says, the Lord has left me empty-handed, she comes back at the time that now it's harvest time. And it's like if God is saying, I'm about to fill your hands. You're blaming me for empty hands. And here I'm making the opportunity available for you to get your hands filled. Isn't God good? He is good. And so uh, as we look at this today, put your life together. uh, The subtitle I put is better, not bitter. Uh, Better, not bitter. And, and I love, as I'm reading through this book, and then I look at Naomi in contrast to Ruth, I see that Naomi comes back bitter, but Ruth is determined to become better. And that's why she left her homeland, she left her people, she left her family, and said, I'm going to go where your God is. Now, once there was a millionaire who owned a lot, there was a millionaire who owned a lot, in an exclusive residential area of a large city. The lot presented an unusual problem. It was only two yards wide, but nearly a hundred feet long. There was nothing that he could do but sell it to one of the neighbors on either side. He went to the neighbor on one side of his lot, and he asked if he would be interested in buying the lot. The neighbor said, well, only as a favor, then named a ridiculously low price. The millionaire exploded. Why, that's not even worth one-tenth 
of what it's, it's of its value. He stormed out and went next door. To his dismay, the other neighbor offered less. Look, said the neighbor smugly, I've got you over a barrel. You can't sell that lot to anyone else and you can't build on it. So there's my offer. Take it or leave it. The millionaire was beside himself with rage. Within a few days, he hired an architect and a contractor to build one of the strangest houses ever conceived. Only five feet wide, running the length of his property. His house was a little more than a row of tiny rooms, each barely enough to accommodate a stick of furniture. The neighbors complained, but the city officials could find no codes or violations to stop the construction. When it was finished, the millionaire moved into the uncomfortable house. There he stayed until his death. The house, which became known as Spite House, still stands as a monument to one man's problem of hate and unforgiveness. And do you know that there are a lot of Christians today living in Spite House? Because they become bittered. They become embittered by others. They become embittered in their response to what they perceive are injustices done to them by others. And because they've decided, I'm not going to extend forgiveness, but I'm going to withhold it, they find themselves, like this millionaire, confined and restricted and missing out of the glorious inheritance God has for them. And this is what I see in Naomi, that because of her bitterness... She was actually keeping herself confined, keeping herself restricted, keeping herself enclosed instead of stepping into what God had for her. But the contrast we see in Ruth, who is ready to venture out, who is ready to go for more, who is ready to believe that, hey, there is hope that in spite of what I've come from, God will lead me to a place of abundance. And so we look at Ruth chapter 2 beginning with verse 1 down to verse 7. It says, there was a relative of Naomi's husband. Say relative. And notice, he was a man of great wealth. How many of you like relatives like that? They got, they got buku money, right? They got money, right? He was a man of great wealth. Of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please, let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold... Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. 
And she said, Please, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Now, what I love about this passage is that it teaches us that Ruth chose to grow better, not bitter. Ruth chose to grow better, not bitter. I learned through her that things don't get better unless I choose to get better. As I read this passage, she's communicating to me that if you want things to get better in your life, you've got to choose to get better. Now, I want you to see a couple of things related to provision that she experienced. Because at the end of this, she experienced a provision that not only benefited her, but as well as Naomi. Now, there are several things that I see regarding provision and how she came into it. First is this, connection leads to provision. Connection leads to provision. You remember in verse 1, it says there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth. His name was Boaz. Now watch this. This is the, the way that God works. Boaz had wealth, but no wife. Ruth had poverty, but no husband. Both demonstrated their commitment to God by their lives. And for such people, God loves to take deficits and turn them into unbelievable assets. You see, neither of them knew what God was orchestrating. But both of them were committed to God. And, and here's what I've learned in life. Is that when God is going to bless you, He'll send someone your way. Or He'll connect you with someone. Don't believe me? Nehemiah just happened to be the king's cupbearer. And little did Nehemiah know that that connection would serve as a source of provision for when God would use him to rebuild the broken wall around Jerusalem. Little did he know that he was actually led by God to come in connection with that king that he served as a cupbearer under. I want you to get a hold of this. Ruth just made a commitment. I'm going to go with Naomi back to her homeland. And her God is going to become my God. There was no guarantee of any promise. But little did she know that because of her heart, commitment, and devotion, God was orchestrating. God was arranging for her to come in connection with a person that would serve as a means of provision. Hmm. Ain't that good. Say, God's good. And He is. And I, I love this because at, at the end of this, coming at the end of this chapter 2 of Ruth, even Naomi comes to recognize God is, has orchestrated. God has arranged for a change. Because in Ruth 2.20, 
It says, Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man, Boaz, this man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Now, why is that important? Close relative, because the Hebrew word refers to a relative who acted as a protector or guarantor of the family rights. He could be called upon to perform a number of duties. In Hebrew, it's the goel. It's called the kingsman redeemer. That relative that has the position and the power. Through their position and power, they are enabled to do some things for your benefit. Such as, such a relative could buy back property that the family had sold. Such a relative could serve to provide an heir for a deceased brother by marrying that brother's wife and producing a child with her. Such a relative could be used to buy back a family member who had been sold into slavery due to poverty and also to avenge a relative who had been murdered by killing the murderer. Now, watch this. The Scripture calls God the Redeemer. Or the close relative of Israel. In Isaiah 60 verse 16. But when we come to the new covenant. Jesus Christ is called the redeemer of all believers. I don't care what your condition is. There is a goel for you. There is a kinsman. There's a close relative available that can buy back whatever the devil has taken from you. I don't care where you find yourself right now. Jesus can deliver you from the slavery to anything that is holding you back from experiencing the inheritance he intended for you to experience in your life. Isn't that good? Ah, your connection leads to Provision. And then submission leads to provision. Submission leads to provision. Would you just say with me? She said, please. Yeah, she said, please. Twice in the passage we looked at, she said, please. She said, please first to her mother-in-law. Look at, and, and, and there in Ruth 2, verse 2, it says, So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please, let me go to the field. And then notice verse 7, and she said, Please, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Before she went out to the field, she asked for permission to go. In other words, she wasn't going to do anything without the blessing and outside the covering of Naomi. She wasn't going to act out of an independent spirit. You see, submission, it literally means to arrange under, to come under. It doesn't just mean that you come under the authority of somebody. It also means that you're coming under their covering. That means their protection. I don't know about you, but when the storm hits, I want to be under some shelter. I don't know about you, 
But when there, there's an attack coming, I want to know that I'm covered. You see, this is why God calls for submission throughout the Scriptures. Let the younger be submitted to the older. That's why it calls about being submitted under leadership. It's not so that you, you're feeding the, 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 the ego of a leader. No, it's for your own protection. And then, when she got to the field, she didn't, she didn't strut her stuff saying, Hey, you know who I am? Yeah, you know me as a Moabitess, but do you know I am the daughter-in-law of Naomi, who is from your homeland? And so you, y'all got to let me work on this field. No, she didn't even do that. She didn't present anything except she presented a request. Please, let me glean. Wow. And here's what I want you to understand. Why did she go to the field in the first place? It wasn't for herself. It was for another. And don't ever forget this. Serving is sowing. Let me say that again. Serving is sowing. You see, she was serving on behalf of another, not knowing that her serving was actually her sowing. You see, Ruth was serving for the benefit of her mother-in-law, Naomi. Watch this. When you are serving for the benefit of another, you are at the same time sowing toward a blessing. Little did she know that not only was her mother-in-law going to be provided for, But she's about to connect with a man that is going to meet all of her needs. She didn't know this. You got no idea what your serving can lead to. You got no idea what you're sowing toward. But I'm saying to you what I've heard throughout my life and I've experienced for myself. God is a debtor to no one. If nobody sees what you're doing out of the kindness and concern and compassion of your heart, there is a God in heaven who is recording. There is a God in heaven who's being attentive. There is a God in heaven who doesn't forget your kindness, doesn't forget your seeds that are sowing. And so I'm saying to you tonight, as Paul said to the church of Galatia, do not grow weary in well-doing because you are going to reap if you do not give up. God will see to it that your harvest comes. Woo, submission leads to provision. And here's another one. Expectation leads to provision. Ooh, I love this. And Ruth too, too. Ah, so Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him. Watch this. In whose sight I may find favor. In whose sight I may find favor. Do you see what she's saying? I'm expecting that when I leave this house, I'm going to find somebody's. In whose sight 
I'm going to discover favor. In other words, she didn't leave that house without leaving with expectation. She expected that her endeavor to go and find a field where she could find provision was going to happen. She expected that there was going to be an outcome that would be profitable and beneficial to her and her mother-in-law. She left that home with expectation. And watch this. The expectation was based on God's revelation. I love the Bible. It tires me up. Watch this. The law itself, the Levitical law. Y'all like, why, why, why? Because of what I'm going to show you right now. I don't just get all because, no, there, there's substance. Why? Leviticus 19.9. Because when you see this, and then you're going to wait. Oh, now I see. Yes, you will. Leviticus 19.9. Look at this. God instructed his people to do this. He commanded them. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. In other words, you're not to, to gather it all up for yourself. Nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. Right? Watch this. Go to chapter 23, verse 22. Watch this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly or completely reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for who? And for who? What was Ruth? She was poor. <laughs> she couldn't even afford the OR. She was poor, okay? <laughs> And she was a stranger. She was not a Hebrew. She was not an Israelite. One more. Deuteronomy 24, 19. Uh, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the, a, a sheave, a sheave in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the who? Ah, Ruth qualifies. The fatherless and the what? Ruth qualifies. That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Do you see it? Ruth, through Naomi, understood that there was provision for them because of what had been established in the law. And so when she leaves her house, she says, I'm leaving because I'm going to find favor today. Because she was basing that expectation on the Word of God. Let me tell you something. If there's a word in His Word that gives you a promise, you can guarantee yourself that God is going to fulfill what He promised. I want you to understand, today, if you are believing God based on His Word, you can walk with your head held high. You can walk in your into your employment with expectation. I'm going to have favor here. You can walk into your neighborhood with expectation. My God will be a covering over my dwelling. You can walk among even your enemies with the expectation. The Lord is going to be a shield around me. And like we sang tonight, you can expect He's going to be in front of you. He's going to be behind you. He's going to be right now next to you. He's got you covered from your head to your toes through your fingertips, front and back and all around. That's His promise. 
Woo! And the psalmist said this in Psalm 62, 5. My soul, wait silently for God alone. Why? For my expectation. Would you say tikvah? Yeah, say tikvah. Who's got ticks? No, tikvah. That's the Hebrew word for expectation. You know what I love about this word? It also is a word that is in, translated as cord or rope. It's also translated hope. He says, my rope of hope comes from him. Oh, do you get it? That whenever you find yourself in deep waters, you got a rope of hope. That you can count on. Whenever you find yourself at the edge and feeling like there's no way I'm going to be able to survive this. God has a rope called hope that he gives you. And what is that based on? Romans 15.4. Paul writes this. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. How do we get Hope through the scriptures. Do you got a word from the word? Then you've got hope. You've got hope. I like what Pastor Mark Operman said in a sermon titled, A Dog's Life No More. He shared, in the Peanuts comic strip, we find Snoopy thinking to himself, Yesterday I was a dog. Today I'm a dog. Tomorrow I'll probably still be a dog. Oh, there's so little hope for advancement. He continues, well, there is hope for those who have a dog's life. But the change will require them to make a choice. Regardless of why our life is the way it is today, where it goes from here is primarily up to us. He continues, we can wake up tomorrow to another dog's day, or we can ask the Lord to help us make some changes both inside and out. I want to declare over you tonight that you were not called to live a dog's life. You were called to live as more than a conqueror. You were called to have in God the strength that you need for every day. For in Deuteronomy 33:25 it says as your days so shall your strength be god is saying to you today i am going to resource you i am going to provide you for what you need regardless of the circumstance or crisis that you've just come through or about to face it does not matter you will always have hope and here's a good thing that not only do I have hope because of the scriptures I have hope because Jesus who died and rose again now is living inside of me and the Bible says in Colossians 1:27, Christ in you the hope of glory I've got hope. And the final thing I want us to see here in this passage of Ruth is this. Providence, not coincidence. Providence, not coincidence. Look at Ruth 2.3. It says, And she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And notice the next words. And she happened 
to come <laughs> to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened. It's like it's saying, by chance, she arrived to the field belonging to Boaz. But watch this. Because Ruth was submissive to the Lord and to others, God began to work on her behalf. He led Ruth and made sure that she and Naomi had enough to eat. She happened to come to a portion of a field belonging to Boaz. But watch this. This was not an accident. It was an appointment. This was not an accident. This was an appointment. Listen, when you submit to the Lord and to others, God will lead you and feed you. Oh. Mm. Can, can we go to Psalm 37, 23? Psalm 37, 23. I know, I know, I, I'm messing them up, but I, I got it. I got to. Psalm 37, 23. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man. Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Can we, can, there we go. The Lord, can we, can we get the new King James up there, please? Because they're going to think I'm making this up. You won't. The steps of a good man, there it is, are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Look at the next verse, 24. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. You see that? God's going to order your steps. But look at verse 25. Mm -hmm. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Isn't that what happened with Ruth? The Lord was directing her steps. And even in her fumbling and in her stumbling, not knowing what field to go to, the Lord was upholding her. The Lord was sustaining her. Can I tell you something? That if you are letting God direct your steps, it doesn't mean there's not going to be any mess-ups. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have any missteps because of you but nonetheless he's going to uphold you he be why he's going to keep his hand on you and listen and at the end of the day you're going to find that he is going to provide what you need it's my rally towel yeah providence Not coincidence. Watch this. The word providence is made up of two words. Pro means before and video means to see. Watch this. The word providence simply means to see before. So when we talk about the providence of God, we mean that God sees before and plans accordingly. So Ruth is thinking, I'm going to go out 
And somehow, some way, I'm going to find provision. But what Ruth didn't understand was that even before you plan to express your desire to Naomi, and even before you and Naomi ended up coming back to Bethlehem, even as you set your feet to move from Moab to Bethlehem, God already saw that there was going to come the day once you arrived that you were going to leave the house to look for provision. And God already saw that the field that he you needed to arrive at was Boaz's field. In other words, God already saw the end from the beginning. And so I want to say to you, don't stress, don't worry. Your father knows what you have need of even before you ask. He's already foreseeing what you're going to need. And he's already arranging it. He's already working it out. He's already preparing the harvest that he's calling you to. I want you to understand tonight that our God, he is not just a gracious God. He is a generous God. He is a benevolent father. He is a God who is in charge of our lives. And when we make up our minds, I'm going to let him lead. I'm going to let him direct. It doesn't mean that there are not going to be times when we're not, when we're going to not trip up. We will trip up. We will mess up. But I'm glad that he's a God who can take my mistakes and still work out a miracle. And it started because Ruth said, Naomi, and and just, it's not in the Bible, but just give me liberty. Ruth is saying like, if you want to stay home, Naomi, and have a pity party and just continue to blame God that he's left you empty, that's fine. But please let me go. Let me go and search. Let me go and try to find something. Because she's saying, you can choose to stay bitter. But I'm choosing to become better. And God worked on her behalf. And I'm saying to you, if you'll choose, I'm not going to live in the land of bitterness. I'm going to live to become better. God will back you. God will assist you. God will open opportunities for you. Woo! Come on, get would you give him praise? Yeah. So those here and those on live stream, let's choose to be better, not bitter. But you don't know what's happened to me. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'll be honest with you. I do not know what you're going through. But I do know who can get you through it. And I do know what he wants to get you to. That's what I'm saying today. Get better. Amen. Father, thank you. 
Abba, Father, thank you for your providence. Thank you that you look out. You look ahead. You see the end from the beginning. You know what we have need of even before we ask you because you're looking out for us. And when we choose to become better instead of bitter, we invite your working. We invite your working in our lives. Yeah. Who had oil? Somebody had oil in the in the green room. Do you have it? Let's let, let's come up here with. If you have oil, come. I just feel the oil, which symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And it's been known as the anointing oil, the oil of gladness, the oil of holiness. And I'm, I'm going to ask prayer warriors, would you come and stand? Because I, I believe there's people here tonight that are saying, I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. And I, and I, I feel they need to be anointed with oil. Oil symbolizes the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says He anoints us with the oil of joy, the oil of gladness. And I believe God is going to turn it around for you. Those of you that tonight, this, this was your word. And it's been in your heart, I want to go, I want to grow better, not bitter. And you know that God spoke to you tonight and you say, Pastor, I'm ready. I'm ready. I want you to make your way forward. And these prayer warriors are going to anoint you. They're going to anoint you. This is in the Bible. We are to anoint. Why? Because it's a expression of our yieldedness to the work of the Spirit of God. And it leads to the releasing of His anointing, of His power. I'm telling you, the Bible says the yoke is destroyed because of the anointing. And I know God's going to break some stuff off tonight. And you're moving into your harvest season. Yeah, thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Abba.